0: podcast about real people for real people. I wanted to create a space where I share my true feelings and those of my guests about what it's like to live in today's world. The challenges we face and how we deal with them or don't. What about all that stuff that's just not said but should be? You know, the conversations that we really want to have but don't. What do we really think and feel? What about our regrets, the dreams that we have and the stuff we should be doing but we don't? Each week, I'll be here talking to real people about real life. This is a very honest look at life and hopefully by listening it will help you to have a better understanding of yours. In today's episode I'm talking to Jack, a young man about growing up in Peru and how incredible his childhood was there. How he dealt with the tragedy of his mother's death, his father living in another country and moving to Australia to start a new life. I really hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we did so so welcome thank you so you you grew up in Peru
1: yes I grew up
0: so Um, I don't know Peru at all and I'm interested in where
1: how do you think where you grew up defines who you are Peru I think it was the best place to possibly grow up it was so different from any other place I've ever been to it was so different uh from Australian you know, growing up in Australia, all my friends have different experiences. Growing up in Peru, I feel, has given me a different type of maturity where I understand and I see things differently, you know. Uh, there's a lot of poverty in Peru, and that, that really um, made things clear for me what life really means. You know, not everything's about, you know, money. Where Whereas in Australia, I feel like lots of my peers and, and things like that haven't had those experiences, so they feel... Life is about money, they don't see it in a broader perspective. I think Peru, it's just given me different insight into the world, you know, the culture over there is much more vivid than it is over here and all of that has helped me become a different person from, you know, all my peers. I remember growing up and my mother owned a restaurant over there and my life over there was so different from what it is now. You know, I'd wake up and I'd go down to at my mum's restaurant and have a breakfast made for me and then catch the bus in the early morning and go to school. And now I, I have to make breakfast for myself and it's so different, two completely different lives but they're both really great. So I think Peru has given me, has been beneficial for me in a way that I understand things better and I um, appreciate things more. I was actually born in, in Peru, so I was there for twelve years since um since I was born there, yeah. Do you, what were your first do you have
0: any kind of first memories of what you you talked then very clearly about what Peru's like, but what was you have any what was your first memories <sighs> of Peru?
1: Well, it's it's really hard to remember like my first memories, but when I was younger my mum filmed this video because living in South America, it's so different from living in Australia. So my mother wanted to show my family in Australia what it's like, what my life is like in Peru. And that video is like, uh, I think it goes over a few days in a, in a few short hours. And it shows my life in Peru. And I think that video has brought back so many memories. So when you ask, you know, what memories I remember, it's really that video is pretty much all the memories I have over there it's you know getting up early sitting on the couch with my mom eating chocolate and watching movies in the afternoon going to my nanny's house you know staying home on the holidays and watching you know the cleaner clean and you know talking to her and going down to the restaurant and watching my mom work those were my my earliest memories that I I can possibly remember.
0: Uh, In terms of challenges and things that you faced what would be you know what were your biggest
1: challenges? Biggest challenges. I when I when I used to go to school. I I don't know what it was, but I find a lot of people in Peru, like a lot of my friends, had this same problem. And it was I could not concentrate at school. I would go off and I would run down to the river. There was a river near my school, and I'd play with my friends over there. And I'd skip out on classes and I guess you could say I was, you know, a class clown and was, I was naughty and I never studied. I never did any homework. I always copied off my friends if I needed, if I had a test or anything like that. So one of my biggest challenges was actually learning book wires, you know, um, following in, in a, the education process over there. I always found it really hard and I never concentrated. So I think most of my learning came from living life. But yeah, those were my biggest challenges in, in school. I remember my mum used to have to get math tutors for me and she had to change schools for me all the time because she just thought maybe it was the school. But it, it when I came to Australia, it all changed. So I don't know what it was about Peru. It might be the educational. It was just because I was having too much fun that I didn't want to learn. And that was my biggest challenge, yeah. And,
0: what, and, what, and how, so how was the school like... In, in Peru compared to how it is
1: in Australia I love school in Peru so much more I love Australian education as well but it, it's a dogma really in in Australia you have to follow a certain process and I know everything about getting into uni whereas in Peru I didn't really know much about it that might have just been because of my age but I didn't stress over school like I do now school from well especially my school There, there's like different types of schools in Peru but the schools I used to go to were like international schools and their approaches were like Steiner schools, just very free. They tried to teach you more about life and the environment and you had classes where it was called farm class. So you would plant trees and plant flowers and we had Tayer day, which means we would have different classes where we do different things. So like one term we'd been cooking tallere which means we'd learn how to cook or we'd be making products and we could make products and make shampoos from natural flowers that we grew, which was so, so rewarding. It felt really cool to make your own soaps and stuff like that from flowers you grew. So school over there, I felt, was a lot more nurturing. It was just do what you want, learn as, you know, learn as you grow. And here it's so more, you know. You follow the structure, do your assignments, hand them in on time or you get a Friday sort of thing, which is good in a way that I learn a lot more in book-wise matter, you know, I, I get more, my academics have gone up in, you know, in skill, but it's different. So it's a bit of both both worlds. I love, you know, the, the more free approach, you know, free range, I would call it, but I didn't learn much some it worked for some people but for me I guess it didn't and now the more structured does work for me because I'm doing much better at school than I I was in Peru yeah
0: yeah I mean that sort of says that you're somebody who needs the structure yeah kids who people who do and people who don't so I totally get why this would work for you in terms of what you think you're learning at school now and how much use do you think that's going to be to you when you're an adult what
1: would be your answer to that? I mean, I honestly don't think I'm gonna use anything. Well, I might use you know, for my chosen or well not chosen but future career path that I'm thinking of taking. I don't think any any of the stuff that I'm you know learning at school at the moment is gonna to be too beneficial for me. It might help me in university when I'm studying, but after that, uh, besides my practical English skills and um, even I I do art at school and I think that might be the, the subject that I take the most from, how to be creative and how to explore that creativeness and how to put it on a medium or, you know, do that sort of stuff. And I think, to be honest, I don't think, like my math, I don't think I'll ever use that. I don't think I'll ever need to use algebra or rhythmic equations on anything. So it's, it's good to have that knowledge but it's not world knowledge i think you get that from traveling or living as you grow in terms of academic education i don't, in my schooling at the moment i don't think it's going to help me too much in the future
0: you kind of answered this question but how much what do you think would be better for you then uh, what will they teach you at school? Would would help you in life more?
1: I feel like if they taught us more about the world around us. So at the moment we learn about books like Shakespeare, and Hamlet, and that sort of stuff. And sure that sure that's um beneficial in, in one way. But we don't get taught about places like Peru. We don't get taught about places like Africa where people are starving or even in, you know, North Korea where people are suppressed. And I'm not trying to, you know, seem very left-wing, but I just feel with that knowledge we can learn more about our world because it is our world. And I think in Australia we're too nurtured. Um, Our country is so wealthy that we don't see that sort of stuff. You know, we might see homelessness, but it's nothing on a scale to, you know, world, world hunger and stuff like that. So I feel... If, let, let's say we had a weekly class where it's, you know, study of society. I think that would, that would be way more beneficial for everyone than math and that sort of stuff.
0: And how do you... Because you, obviously you had friends in Peru and you got friends in Australia. How do you find your friends... How different are they in Peru compared to here, given what you just said in
1: terms of... Uh, that's, that's an interesting question because I, I always think about that. And, you know, when I, I get asked how my friends are in Australia and if I have friends and I go, yeah. And they say, are they good friends? I go, they're good friends, but I don't think they're going to be lifetime friends. I love my friends in Australia. They're good people, but I don't think that they don't, we don't see eye to eye on everything. And that's, that's why you know, opposites attract. But I find that my friends in Peru, we just got along way more. And I think maybe I'm used to that because in Peru, everyone, Everyone's a lot more, I don't know what the word is in in English, cariñoso, they're more friendly, you know, they'll give you hugs and it's not, you know, whereas if you gave a guy here a hug, people might say you're gay or something like that. So I just find it hard to adjust to sort of Australian friendships because they're a lot more distant, they're a lot more cool, whereas in Peru everyone's your friend um i find people in peru my friends in peru they just want to be with you you know they want to do things with you like you can tell them that i love you it's sort of that sort of culture you know i i feel like culture you can see it present in italy and stuff like that where families are really close together and friends are really tight whereas here friends are friends and then that's where it stops sort of thing they don't come into your you know your life too much yeah, into your self-being, I, I would call it, yeah.
0: And do you, do you think that's more so with being a man? Do you think that, that guys tend to struggle here with being able to express themselves and how they feel compared to Peru?
1: I do, I yes. I think that for, for some odd reason the Australian man is a lot more Hard ass, or I think they're expected more to not, you know, show emotion. They're expected to be, you know, the stereotype, I guess. Maybe not expected to, but, you know, to confirm more towards it, where, you know, they don't show their emotion. Whereas in Peru, I don't think we have that much of a structure. We've had too much in, like, our history to follow anything like that. So everyone's different and everyone's just loving. Whereas it, in Australia I feel they are loving but they just don't show it and that's where I struggle and that's why being a man in Australia is so different so you know that I don't think being a man should just be not showing your emotion and being strong and you know um, what many people think what men should be
0: and do you think given that you've got friends here you have any of those conversations where you have talked about that really they're not like that, but they're just not taught to be like that or told to be very male and not show emotions. But underneath that, do you sense that there's that is just there, but they don't know how to express themselves? Or
1: I, I do. I've, I've had a few, you know, different talks with different friends where I feel like there is a lot more to them and they do want to show their emotion, but society has sort of played a role in shaping how they should behave, where they think that being a man is being, you know, tough on the outside. But I've definitely had friends who've gone and said, look, I don't don't care about if I cry. I think that's being a man, and I agree with them, you know, because we're all just humans. It doesn't matter whether you're female or male. I don't understand why we have to, I guess, dogmatize." A man to be tough and a female to be, you know, not tough. So, I definitely see that in my friends. They don't, they don't confirm to it, and I don't think they feel pressured by society. And I'm one of those people. Mm.
0: It's tough though, because as you quite rightly said, there there is lots of almost. It's just an unwritten rule that men in Australia are like that have to behave and be this yeah. way. When in lots of cases they don't want to do that.
1: No, I feel like yeah it's customary law, I guess, you know, it's unwritten. And even for me, I don't know why, but I don't believe this. But when someone says like an Australian man, for some reason, I always think of a uh, like a tradie or something like that, who's, you know, very hard and um works, you know, in the middle of the day and has, you know, slang words. But when I think of an Australian man, I should be thinking of people like me, people like my friends, people like my dad, because the Australian man isn't the Australian man. It's the Australian man's or men's because there's so many different types.
0: Yeah. So what was your, you just mentioned your dad then, what was your dad like? Uh, my is he dad around i don't know if he's around. no
1: no my dad yeah my dad's around um he's the australian man who doesn't like australia that much he doesn't live in australia he does show he's not afraid to show his emotions as well he is a bit of like he's an alcoholic so because he had like a, a troubled childhood you know his mum died when he was young and his dad moved him away from school and moved into a new house with his his nanny <laughs> of all things so he had a troubled childhood and You know, he got into drugs and alcohol and that sort of stuff. So he still shows his emotion. He's not afraid to talk about what he feels. And I think that's where I've learned about my type of, you know, what being a man is. He is an Australian man who isn't the, you know, the stereotype. He's a a different man. He's not even the type of man that, you know, I would... He's very, not feminine, but he has those aspects where... He, he's easy to talk about. He shows his emotions. And, you know, I think his experience with women have helped him, you know, do that. Yeah. Where does he
0: live now? Do you see him much? Or... Um,
1: I don't see him that often. I see him every year or every second year. But he he, ha- he lives in Spain, but he travels a lot. He's a bit of a nomad. He You know, he likes to hop around uh, the Norway, Portugal, Spain, Thailand, all those sort of places. He's never been able to really settle down he's not that sort of person. Yeah. I think there's been too much trauma in his life for him to feel like he can anchor down Mm. and start a life. And
0: have so have you found that to not have your dad around?
1: I actually never had any problem with it. You know, all my friends, when I went over to their houses, they always had dads and stuff like that. And I feel like a lot of my friends tried to take care of me in a way that I wouldn't, you know, feel bad because, you know, they saw that I didn't have I didn't have a present dad and they did and that you know that's what I was talking about. for everyone's more loving and they would actually care if I you know if I felt sad about them having a dad. But I never did. I um I never felt like I needed a dad even though it was my mum and I. Just my mum and I. We always had people around. I think I grew up in a in such a way that my mum was so capable of everything and we had so much help that I never felt like I required a dad. I think I even didn't want a dad, you know. I think my dad, like, went, sorry, my mum, when she had boyfriends and stuff like that, I was afraid that she was going to marry them and I'd have a dad, you know, because all my friends, their dads would discipline them and I didn't have that. And that's maybe where I got, you know, my free range from, you know, at school and stuff like that, from not having a dad. So I do wonder what life would have been like with a dad. I don't think it would have been greater because, I've yeah, without a dad, I don't feel like I've missed out on too much. And so who
0: would have been, who are your mentors, male mentors? Did you have male or female or just are they would they just be people? And I'm talking, I'm not just that, by that I mean people that you know. So friends, I'm interested in who those might be. And also people that you don't know. So, you know, whether they're media people yeah. or celebrities or whatever.
1: Who do you identify with and why? I've never had... Mentors as such whereas I where I want to follow in their footsteps or anything like that But I've always had people who I think are good people and I kind of want to look up to Or I guess want to have different aspects of who they are. So I've always looked up like up my sis my mum's um, Brother my uncle Dave. I've always looked up to him I've always looked up to one of my mum's friends Andrew. He's incredible. He's gay, but he has he's just so good at everything you know he's great at cooking he's really smart he's a professor he was a professor at you know Princeton and I always look up to him in a way like how do you do it all you know he's so good at everything and he used to live with my mum and I and I think that's why I've got a lot of my like my masculine masculinity isn't you know my priority I've never been a you know a very masculine person and that's why I think being a man is different because I never grew up with, like, men. I grew up with either females or gay men. So, you know, I've never had that huge figure in my life. If, if I were to say I had mentors, I think they'd all be female. I, I always dubbed to females more than I did men. And that's just because, yeah, I never had strong men that much in my life.
0: And who the so who in the in the world today would you identify with?
1: As in like a mentor, or no, a mentor is someone who mentors you,
0: but someone you just look up to. Is there anyone that you could say to me, you know, Dan, I look up to.
1: I, I look up to my mother very much in a in a very strong way. I feel a huge connection to her. I just find what she did in life was so interesting and so brave and so courageous, and I just want to be like her. I, I look up to one of my neighbours in Peru. She's she, the one who I came and I came to Melbourne to see her. I just find her to be really strong and really hardworking businesswoman and, you know, very loving at the same time, you know. My grandma, in some aspects, you know, in the way that she's a hard worker, um, some aspects I completely want to separate myself from. My aunt, you know, she took me in when my mother passed away. And I think that's the most compassionate you can ever be, taking a new, per, you know, a new kid. So I definitely feel very strong to those women. One of my mother's friends who also passed away um, of cancer, um, she lived with us and she was just very kind and, and lovely. And I look up to her aspect uh, in aspects of, you know, Charisma and stuff like that. Even though she was a very messy person, and which you know, my mum and her would sometimes have arguments because she'd leave you know the toilet paper roll empty in the toilet. Her loveliness and charisma. You know, she was a writer, and I just look up to them because they are strong female pe- you know figures in my life.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that your mum passed mm. away.
1: How how long ago was that? Uh, that was so. That was twenty. 14, so that's about four coming up to five years. So tell me about that
0: experience of what it was like to go
1: through uh, losing your mum. It was, like now that I think about it, at the, at the time it was the worst thing. I, I couldn't see anything else besides my mother's passing because she was the only person I lived with. You know, I didn't have a dad to rely on or not a stable dad to rely on. I knew I was going to be taken care of, but just because... All my life I had been with my mum, living in Peru, just us. You know, we had guests and everything, but it was just us. So when my mum was sick, I don't think, I don't know whether it was denial or it was just my young, naive self. I didn't really think about death or anything like that. So when my mother, when she did die, it was such a huge shock to my whole being. Everything completely changed. I completely matured. I felt like now I can't, you know, I can't be a kid anymore, you know, my mum's dead, I have to look out for myself now, I have to grow and be like her. I just matured so quickly when I moved to Australia, because I, you know, it was from one trauma to the next, you know, it wasn't just my mum dying, it was, you know, my mum died, I packed my bags and moved to a completely different country, and started a completely new school with completely different, I guess parents and you know now I have two sisters who were my cousins but now they're my you know like my sisters and it was so painful in that moment but I I've grown so quickly you know because I was so young I I had a lot of resilience and I bounced back really fast where I don't feel it as much anymore you know I feel like I've always lived here I feel like I've always had those sisters sort of thing but I still remember my you know my past I guess it's always part of me. That's amazing that you say that because
0: to go through what you've been through is not an easy thing at all. And how do you... Are there times when you just... You, you, you struggle with, with that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, I have moments where I'm really enjoying life and then I have moments where everything just becomes so hard and I just completely wish none of... You know, I always think about what what would have happened when if, if not, she hadn't died or passed you know, pass away, what my life would have been like, would I have still been in Peru, you know? My friends in Peru have all graduated high school and they're off to uni and other stuff like that. So I wonder how that would be, you know, that could have been me, I I always look at the alternatives. I, I often, when I'm in my times of crisis or high stress, or I'm angry at my aunt or my uncle, or, you know, I just go, I wish, you know, I wish, and I think about what could have been and what is. And I compare them, and you know how life easy, how life was, and how easy it was in Peru compared to like now, where it's a lot, it's tougher in in one way, in different aspects. But I also think that might have just been my age. Who do you turn to in those moments, in those really dark, terrible, uh, awful moments? What do you do? I, how do you get through it? I, I don't know what it is. I think I I don't I don't talk. I talk to, like, my aunt and stuff. I feel like I can definitely talk to her. She's really easy to talk to. But at moments like that, I don't feel like I want to upset anyone else, you know? Often, the times I, I... When I am like that, it's because I've had some sort of fight with my aunt. You know, my aunt and I, even though I love her and she loves me, we don't see eye to eye all the time. Her life is so different from what my mother's was. You know, they're complete polar opposites, my mother and her. So, you know, I'd like to say that I can turn to my aunt but you know it's often my aunt who's you know caused that I guess for me that stress so I don't think I really I don't talk to anyone really about it I don't I don't feel like I have the opportunity to talk to other people you know because it happens so quickly that I just probably lock myself in my room and like every other teenager does and just zone you know zone out I I put on a movie or I watch my favourite TV show, I listen to music and just sleep sleep on it and usually by the morning it's gone. It's very rare for me to have a really intense moment of I wish, I wish I was there. I wish it hadn't happened. I think everything happens for a reason and that's why I'm here at the moment. It's amazing that you can do
0: that, as I said before, because you better just look at it in the way that you look at it. That's incredible because that's... It's a very tough experience that you've <laughs> yeah. been through, particularly at such a young age as well. So it's uh, credit to you that you you can do that. So what is the what does the future hold then for you? You talked about where you think you might go. What what how have you worked out like what you think you want to do? You said you talked about going to uni, but what do you want to do? Do you know what you want to do beyond that? Where do you get that kind of oh yeah, I want to be this? What what's your what's your goal in life?
1: That's a strong question. I I feel. I get nervous about the, the future, I get anxious about it a lot, a lot of the time. The biggest part of me feels like it's a, it's going to be a bright future, but there's always that what-if part of me where, you know, what if I fail, what if I don't get into uni, what if I fail uni, or what if. And that's the biggest, probably, stress in my life. And it all, it all I think, is because of society's pressure to confirm something you know I I when I finished school I originally wanted to my very the very first job that I've always had a passion for I don't know what why but I've always wanted to be a flight attendant and since I was probably six I always used to travel and I used to admire I wanted to be a pilot originally but I really admired flight attendants a lot more and what they did and how kind they were always were so I used to you know practice being a flight attendant as a kid which is like all my other friends were playing soccer and I was you know fake serving my stuffed animals which is so odd now that I think about it but it helped me be who I was and when I came to Australia I felt pressured by society I felt Like being a flight attendant would be looked down upon because i go to a private school in australia now and i feel like everyone all of the conversations i hear from people at the private school uh oh what are you gonna do oh you know i'll be an investment banker i'll make millions of dollars at the original when i first moved here it was so hard i was like oh god is you know is being a flight attendant not going to be good enough so i started to look at different things that i've always wanted to do that would be looked up upon you know the jobs that people think are very interesting and very they pay well and stuff like that so i i've always had an interesting f- medicine i was so inspired by my mother's death to sort of work with people who are sick or who want to change their life in a medical way and i know for some reason when i was in peru i used to operate like there was a market where you could get any part of a you know an animal and i'd Let's say I'd buy the brain and operate on it, which is so weird for a 12 year old to do, but that's just me So when I moved to Australia, I that's my that was my passion. My focus was to be a doctor I was so stressed because I am not the the most academically inclined person, you know i I get good grades, but I'm not an OP or ATAR 99 student I was trying my absolute hardest and I was burning out I was, you know, at, at grade nine I was burning out because I was so stressed about the future. And it, it came to a point where I I just didn't want to do anything anymore, I still wanted to be a doctor, I still do, but I didn't want to do it anymore, I didn't want to think about it because it was just too hard. And then I moved to, uh, no, I didn't move, I, I went on a trip to Peru and I was thinking about what. I wanted to do i've always had an idea of what i wanted to do and you know i was, you know all my friends always said oh you know what you want to do that's so cool and not knowing what i wanted to do was so different and i was like what am i going to do i toyed with the idea of just going back to peru when i finished school and opening my own restaurant or working at my mum's restaurant and just following in her footsteps but at the same time i was working with my mother's lawyer she was telling me what her job was like, and I'd always had like a sort of an interesting feeling about it. But I for for me being a lawyer, you had to be a shark. You had to be really ruthless. You had to be mean, and um, conniving and a liar. So I thought being a lawyer, I could never do that. But working with my mum's lawyer, so different, so interesting, and I heard what what a norm like what a real lawyer is, and not the... TV portrayal of a lawyer so when I came back to Australia I started looking into it more after my holiday I fixated on it I fixate on many things like every career path I want to do so I fixated on it I wanted to be a lawyer and I thought that was fitting because everyone you know everyone looks up to lawyers and doctors and you know every TV show they go oh he's a lawyer he's a doctor he makes lots of money and I think that was a big um, bonus to me wanting to be a lawyer but as it grew more, I was like, why am I doing this? Am I doing it just because I want the admiration? Why do I want the admiration? I realized I still want to do, I still want to be a lawyer, but not a corporate lawyer. I don't want to do any type of law that I'm doing it just for the money. I, I'm interested in like immigration law or um, international law, something that allows me to work with people from other countries, people who have been marginalized, oppressed, persecuted. That's what really... Um, you know it ignites a fire within me but I also I don't care about what other people think anymore about being a flight attendant now that I've grown and I'm not in grade seven I'm going it's my life I'll be in the grave one day and if I don't do what I want to do I'm not gonna you know gonna be truly happy in life so I am looking into becoming a flight attendant when I finish school And still being a lawyer, you know, you can do more than one thing in this world. And I think that's my pathway and it's my life. And I always look at other people's life and try to follow their life because their life looks so cool from the outside. But my life can look just as cool when I follow my life. Yeah, everyone's different. So I think that's my passion and I don't really care about what anyone else thinks anymore because I've learned that once you die, You're dead, and it's your life you live, not someone else's. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think it's spot on.
0: I think the challenge is, which is why I was going to go back to something you said, is that in the world we live in now, whether it's Australia or America wherever, England, that there's a lot of people feel like they have to conform. You mentioned that before as well, conforming and and fitting in and doing what other people expect and what should you do, and you talked then about career and all the rest of it. Did you initially feel like you just said you to be a lawyer you everyone else was saying it's about how much money you earn what you do and how your scene was more important than, than what really felt strong for you in terms of what was your shining light what was your what were you being guided towards was that you know was was that a bigger the conforming was was a bigger thing
1: for you than it was it I, when i first came here i am a big people pleaser and i just wanted to please people even though I never got asked to be a doctor, I never got asked to be a lawyer by anyone in my family. I mean, I think lots of people in my family did think that being a doctor would be a good fit for me or would, was a good idea because, you know, it's a, it's a stable job. I still felt pressured, not by anyone in particular, but by society. I just felt like I wanted to fit in or I, I wanted to be seen and recognised. And I don't know where that feeling came from, but I just wanted to be different. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be rich. I wanted to show the world that I existed. And I've learned through television, through people at my school, through people in Australia, because there's so much wealth here. I've, You know, I've never seen anything like it, that I can be like them. That was my... that was the biggest guide for me. Now, I still want, you know, I still want, but it's only wants. so it's not needs. You know, I still want to live in a nice house in Melbourne, I still want to drive a nice car, but it's not, it's not life. It's only things, and I I think I should, I will make it. If I don't have a nice house, if I don't have a nice car, I'll still make it, I'll still be a good person, I'll still enjoy life. Whereas before, I don't think, I, I think my life would have been ruined if I didn't have a nice car or a house or anything like that. Yeah. And so going
0: back to your mum, how do you remember her? What would be the the thing that you'd say that stands out for
1: you as a a person? Hard work. She worked six days a week for 360 days of the year. She just, it was non-stop for her, you know, because she wasn't, you know... She wasn't very wealthy or anything like that when she was growing up and she didn't have much and she was actually really poor when she moved to Peru. She was working at a bar, but she'd always had experience in, you know, in the industry. She'd never gone to uni or anything like that.
0: Why did she go to Peru?
1: She was going on like a South American trip and all of her friends recommended that if she was going to South America, she has to go to Peru. And she went to Peru on a holiday. And absolutely fell in love with it. She returned to Australia, borrowed money from her mum and returned and set up there. So she was working at the cafe, not at the cafe, at a bar. The bar owner, Gary, was like, Jane, do you want to set up a restaurant, you know, for me? And, you know, you'll be the manager sort of thing. So she set up a restaurant and while she was pregnant and she called it Jack's Cafe. So the cafe is named after me which is so special i feel she set up and she was working there but she wasn't being paid very well she was still you know struggling to make ends meet especially in a different country you know just learning the language was hard enough establishing a cafe in a different you know a different country was even harder so she she was going to leave and she was going to come back to australia which is you know crazy to think about now until you know gary the the person who owned the cafe was like no jane don't leave i'll make you a partner so um she stayed and you know she worked so hard for what she for what she had that's what made her business successful that's what you know i remember her by you know i just remember Even though I didn't have that much time with her, you know, I'd spend the afternoons with her and one Saturday, but even the Saturday she'd work, you know, and I'd always be looked after by nannies and maids and whatnot. Her hard work, I always admired it.
0: What was she like as a mum?
1: You didn't see her much, but... She was not the conventional mum. You know, I always see mums in Australia and I see them and they're so different to what my mum was like. She was so free in a way. She let me free range. In a way, I mean, she she was a responsible mum, but not that responsible, let's just say. But I think that helped me grow up in a way that I'm so different to everyone else and I'm so mature because I've always had to look after myself. I loved her. She was the best mum you could possibly have for me personally. You know, she was still loving. She was so loving, so motherly, but not You know not a warrior she didn't worry you know where i was she wouldn't ban me off things unless it was you know important to be banned off things so she was very lenient with me but if i you know if i was out of line she would you know get me for it for it but she wasn't you know the nurturer where she does everything for me or you know where a lot of my friends in australia are you know have been nurtured they are just some so completely out of line you know the way they treat their mothers the way they just don't do anything. And I think, oh, my God, I don't know how you can, you know, be a mother to such a behave, you know, ma- badly behaved child, you know, I guess. So I just I'm really thankful to my mother for being so different from all the other mums, you know. I don't know how else I could describe her. It's just so different to what I've seen. I don't think there is a word to describe it. No,
0: but culturally that's, um, as you've mentioned before, that is a big contrast between what you've experienced when you were growing up to what you experience now. That's massive. And I completely relate to the being independent. My parents were like that as well. You know, I've got two brothers. We had free reigns to do our own kind of thing. And, And I think that's very important. It doesn't really happen now. As you just said, I think a lot of kids now they micromanaged by the parents, so they do everything for them. You kind of go, well, okay, if you've got to go off and do something, how are you going to yeah. cope in I life because you don't you know what, how to I do know. stuff?
1: They don't know how to make their own lunchbox sort of thing. And I just go, it's the most simple thing. You know, it's basic skills. You know, it's what's going to make you a man. Even though I don't confirm to anything in society, I think being mature and being responsible for yourself is being a man it's being a woman that's the most important part and then of it. have you had
0: those kind of conversations with your friends here where you said oh god i used to do this and they're like oh yeah. i can never do that yeah. or, 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 we,
1: or do they say i wish we could do
0: that but oh. i've never
1: had conversations where they've said i wish i could do that mm. they they're happy that their mum does everything for them yeah. they're ironing they're washing everything but i've always i guess had banter with them i've always you know made fun of them for not doing their own thing You know, making their own lunchbox, ironing their own clothing, that sort of stuff. I've always made fun of them for that. We've never really had conversations. But a lot of my other friends as well who do their own things also make fun of them. Because it's so just out of whack, you know. But they don't really care as long as it's done for them, yeah. And presumably that's the norm
0: where... They, people get stuff done for them.
1: It's not like that's the rarity. You no. Know? So, yeah, that's, which is really is. crazy to think about. that. Their moms, like, I've never had anything like that, you know? I never ma- made my own lunchbox or anything like that because I never had one in Peru. But I still learned how to do my own thing, you know? I didn't rely on my mother to do everything for me or even my father. And I find so many people here do, which is just, for me, it seems ridiculous. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I think that's uh, been a very good chat. I appreciate your time. Um, (laughs) It's been a pleasure. (laughs) So that's great. One thing I was going to ask you, and I thought about it a moment, is how would you, the podcast is called More Real.
1: How do you think your life could be more real? I still, even now, after, you know, thinking about why am I doing what I'm doing, and not trying to confirm to what society believes is great, being a doctor, being a lawyer, I still feel like part of me, or like a big chunk of me, really, is still trying to, even though I'm trying to do my own thing, I'm trying to do it in a way I can, you know, please society's, you know, views on what's good and what's bad, and what's a good career, and what's, you know. I feel, to be more real, I could leave that behind. I could just not even care about it. Not even think about what other people in society think is a good job or or is a good career and how much money is enough money and stuff like that that that's what would make me more real that's a good answer and something you
0: meant you said then you mentioned before being a people pleaser why
1: why do you think you're a people pleaser i have not the slightest clue i it might have been I never used to be in Peru. That's, that's, that's why I struggle with that, because what you described about who you were and the life that you yeah. lead, you didn't have to be that. And that's why I feel like my mother's death was such a marker point in my life, because I went from one person to another. My not, not, not caring about what people think went, changed so differently to when, when I moved to Australia. And I think, not trying to blame Australia or anything like that, but I feel Australia is responsible for changing me. The people here, the people at my school, the teachers, you know, the people I live with, my friends in Australia, that sort of stuff. I feel like they are what changed me. Yeah. And that's why I'm a people pleaser now. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think you should stick to um,
0: what you were, who you were before. I suspect that you will go back to that. But yeah, that's... uh You're doing incredibly well because, as I said before, it's a challenge, an amazing challenge and experience what you've been through. So you're doing remarkably well. So credit to you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. That's great. Perfect. Thank you for listening to More Real. I truly hope you've enjoyed the experience and that you will continue to be here to explore real life with me. If you have, please tell anyone you know about More Real. I love creating a space for real conversations. So if you know anyone who would want to be on this podcast please email me at morerealone. one one is spelt O-N-E, at gmail.com. Once again, morereal1 at gmail.com. I'm very grateful, as always, for your support.